This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and term supply. See McDonald's.com. Zaha! Oh yes! Wilfred Zaha! Single-handedly! Firing Palace to Wembley! Homesdale Radio. Wilfred Zaha. Oh, he's lost out to Buckley! Speroni bails out Wilfred Zaha at Palace. Zaha pulled back out by Brinkard. He's got away though. He's got Williams. Who's onside? Williams for Palace! It's wide! Palace's best chance of the time. It's a little touch on. It's a chance! It's off the crossbar from Ashley Barnes. And Delaney can put it behind. What an introduction that so very nearly was. Molassi's gone across to the left to have a go at Calderon. Here he is. Now the delivery to Aguero Anderson! Wilfred Zaha might just have had the biggest say of his Crystal Palace career in the biggest match on the biggest stage. Dickershoy. Zaha! Oh yes! Wilfred Zaha single-handedly firing Palace to Wembley! That's it! Some said it was Mission Impossible, but Wilfred Zaha stepped up to take Crystal Palace to Wembley. The man with the £15 million price tag has given Crystal Palace a shot in the £120 million game at Wembley. Hello and welcome to Homesdale Radio. My name is Chris Hambling. I'm your host for the evening. With me today I have Ben Nagel. Ben? Evening, Chris. Right? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, Yeah, good. Uh, I've also got, as a special guest... We've got Ross Phillips. Hi, Ross. G'day, mate. <laughs> yeah, g'day. Bonza. Have you uh, just had your dinner? Was it nice? Yeah, it was good. What job, mate? What job? Um, I'm going to call it a capsicum chicken sandwich. Fascinating. Mm. Um, but you've, uh, you've finished that now. Um, obviously, try and keep the uh, burpees to a minimum. We're professionals here. Um, <laughs> what, we're, uh, what we're doing today is we're going to have a quick look back at that wonderful, wonderful result against Brighton. 
a 2-0 victory in a playoff second leg that takes us to the final at Wembley on the 27th. Um, we're looking forward to. We're also going to talk about the build-up to that final and um, have a little discussion about the ticketing situation that happened today and various other bits and pieces. Uh, we had a few little bit uh, tweets and things in from you earlier about subjects you want to discuss. We'll hopefully get to a few of those. It won't be a long show today. We've also got the Homestale Awards that will be tagged onto this, I believe. Um, so it won't be a particularly long discussion from us, but just gives you a little something, something to hold on to until we're back for our next show, whatever that might be. Um, so, guys, it, Brian, we were all there. It was um, so very much a were you there moment. So, I mean, we're talking about, let's talk about the build-up first of all. Obviously, Brighton themselves were, were very, very confident on their message boards, talking like the game was already already won. Uh, we had, obviously, Neil Shipley talking to us uh, the previous, you know, just after the um, first leg, and Ships felt we were going to win that game, and he talked about the importance of keeping the, the Brighton quiet for the first half and, you know, getting the crowd to be a bit nervous and all that sort of stuff, and basically, you know, psychic Ships, exactly as he predicted. Um, but obviously a lot of things, there was, there was overconfidence, um, as well as a, a great deal of skill. Ben, I mean, what, what were your thoughts on, on the build-up, really? How were you feeling pre-game? Well, yeah, it was it was theirs to lose, really, wasn't it? Because you know they came into the game very confident, uh, as Watford probably will going into the final, and I think that suits us. I think Holloway has, has mentioned that as well. We're happy to go in as underdogs because it means that we will just go out there, we'll play that nothing's really expected of us, and I think we caught Brighton out. Um, we were the better team, we deserved it, and I think a few Brighton fans have, have freely admitted that after the game as well. Yeah, they've been obviously as gracious as they, they could be in, in defeat, really. But I don't think we gave them really any opp- opportunity to be in the other way. Certainly a lot of them were very, um, well, you know, they thought the game was won. They really did, um, a lot of them. You know, not everyone. You've got sensible people on all message boards. But uh, um, they seem to feel that after the 3-0 victory against us in the in the league away match, they just seemed to feel it was a formality. Um, Ross, how were you feeling before the game? Um, I was... Well, nervous like most Palace fans and not very confident at all. Um, but I'd like to touch on the overconfident Brighton fans. Even after the first leg, um, after we drew nil nil, they were almost celebrating like they were they were had one foot in the final already. They always thought that nil nil that was going to be enough, and they just had to kind of turn up for the second leg at home, and uh, you know they would win. So it was it was very pleasant. Do you, do you think? Do you think that came across in the players at all, uh, in that they had that same attitude? Um, I'm not sure, to be honest, but I get, uh, the fans, definitely, when, when you read some of the stuff they, they wrote online, and even you kind of sense it during the second leg, the atmosphere that the home support um, gave at the time just felt like they were, they were they assumed they were going to win, they, were, they assumed they were going to go through, and they were a bit overconfident, and I think... Uh, it played into our hands in the end. Yeah, I think I mean for, for me the, the sort of the difference in the in the build up, you know, the pre game, it was it was marked between the sort of experiences I've had so far. Even the the first visit to the Amex when we won three one, the the sort of the build up was very intense. We went to that pub on, on West Street. It was absolutely heaving with Palace. There was you know a massive police presence who, who dragged us all the way up West Street for past pubs into the station, and we had a similar situation this time, but. Just much less numbers. It was extremely odd. We, when I when I turned up at the the, the spoons on West Street, there were considerably more Brighton looking for trouble in that pub than than Palace. In fact, there were me and my uh, my friends were the first 
three palace people in there really and um it's a very very difficult situation i think basically the, the met police came in in the end and removed the um the large gathering of brighton supporters and telling them it was an away pub and we did end up getting a police escort to the ground i got in the ground about five minutes late and it was, it was just weird but it was weird it was like we would take it all around the houses away you know so we didn't go past any pub which is fair enough i was you know late for the game but understand why they did it but it, the, the the group of fans that was taken was probably only about a hundred so it was kind of a surreal experience before the game but um i think that kind of sort of made it for me because it, it almost made me feel like the brighton fans attitudes to the day as a whole were that, that they just had to turn up at the stadium at the game and i just watched their team win it was it was, it was a surreal experience and obviously got there and um well, very, very early on, the first sort of incident of note, which I'll uh, ask you to comment on, Ben, was um, with Wilf Zaha probably trying to dribble with the ball way too deep, as he as he sometimes does. Will Buckley stealing it from him, and, and a great save from Jules to uh, to keep the ball out. Yeah, well, it's it's not really something we've seen from Wilf in the last few months, but previous to that, it was something that he did quite a lot. You know, where he, he tries his tricks a bit too deep down, you know, nearer the the Palace box than than the opposition box, and I think that. Well, it's, it's a problem. It's not. It isn't something that he's been doing recently, but it was a mistake from him. And I'm just really glad that you know he was the match winner rather than the match loser in that situation. We've got obviously we'll come on to Jules in a few minutes, but he he was absolutely unbelievable. And you know some of the saves he made, the one in particular was were unbelievable. Really, mm. yeah, we, we'll definitely talk about him at, at length. I think you know one of over the course of the of both games, he's he's made saves that. You know that were as good as goals, basically. So um, you know, he had a huge impact on that. But I mean, just talking specifically about our first half, I mean, that that Buckley chance was probably the the major incident of note in that first half. It was incredibly cagey and, and sort of tense affair. But I felt as the game went on, we we sort of looked stronger, and their crowd got a little bit anxious. But uh, if I can ask you, that's a good good time to actually ask um, ask you, Ross. The Brighton crowd obviously were, were nice and loud when we got there. Um, yeah. And they had the they had the clappers. What did you think of those? <laughs> uh, like every other Palace fan, thought I thought it was pretty hilarious, embarrassing, bit cringe cringeworthy. Uh, I like the Palace fans' response though. You can you can stick your bloody clappers up your ass. Yeah, yeah I also like we clap with our hands. We clap with our hands. Yeah, another good one. But I mean, yeah, did, uh, was it the sort of crowd you expected to see at Brighton? I thought it was they they put on a pretty good atmosphere, um, and I thought they were quite loud in the first half. And it was it was a bit of a I thought it was a good battle between fans singing. Obviously, we 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 sung a lot more than them, but I thought it was a good a good battle between like songs and that. But they just have they have no songs, do they? They got about two. Maybe three. <laughs> they have, yeah, but they just sing Albion, Albion all the time. It's just That's boring. it. You're bang it's on quite that. loud when three stands sing it though. Yeah, um, look, it's it's you know it's their charm. The Albion, Albion is that's their charm. That's what they've got. Um, they have they had some interesting flyers that they handed out with song lyrics on, and there were song there were song words also on the clappers themselves and things like that. They're trying really hard to generate an atmosphere, but it just you, you kind of almost strikes me as someone trying to generate an atmosphere who doesn't really understand how a football atmosphere works. But trying too hard. Yeah, exactly. Trying way, way, way too hard. You have to let things kind of organically grow and 
it takes time. You can't do everything overnight, but that seems to be the, the sort of the plan at Brighton is to do everything overnight. But uh, Ben, you had an opinion on the atmosphere. Yeah, I was just going to reiterate that really about how it's it's almost a, they they're trying to generate the atmosphere and it isn't natural, like you said. I mean, on on the back of the clappers, they had the words before the game on the big screen. It had hold your cards up now, and it was all just it was all just a bit ridiculous, really. Like like the oh, I don't I don't really know. It just seems silly uh, well, that they couldn't do it themselves. They're they're a club that quite like a few clubs criticise us for having goal music at Sellers Park which you know yeah. everyone's got an opinion on and what have you but I don't really think that they've got a leg to stand on because of because of their manufactured atmosphere that they're trying to create it's, it's just odd it's really odd and I do feel yeah, for the, 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 the song, songs before the game as well they tailor specifically to Brighton put your hands up for Brighton we love this yeah team. yeah oh, see oh. I was unfortunately my um, police escort to the ground caused me to miss that but I was told about <laughs> that when I got there and um Apparently that's what was playing when I walked into the ground, but I couldn't really recognise it. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you don't want to sit here and just sort of, you know, just just take the mick out of them continuously. But they really, really don't give you an option sometimes. But um, yeah, listen, I can as Ross quite rightly pointed out, they did at times make a really good noise and get behind their team. But I felt you could feel the tension from the crowd. You could feel a crowd that was had turned up expecting something better than what they saw, and they they saw their team struggled to break down Palace who kept their shape really really well in that first half and as the game went on they just we just opened up a little bit and just changed a few little things tactically uh, and, and as as we'll talk about in a minute in the second half once again some brave substitutions pretty much ended up winning the game I do want to make a point on the atmosphere the Palace the Palace end was just as Ross was saying was singing fantastically um, and it's worth noting that we had the you know the fewest fans that we've ever taken there in, in, you know, in the two other games because um, we only only got given just under two thousand tickets, so you know, because it's uh, a playoff, it's effectively a cup game. They don't they only have to give us about ten percent or something like that, and I think it's clearly segregated as well. So we got even less, but you know, big it was a big day for them, and um, and unfortunately we spoiled it for them. Um, so I mean, yeah, first half went in at nil nil and, and an okay performance. Now I want to talk here about some rumours of something that happened at half time. Have you? Uh, before I say it, have you guys heard any rumours of what happened at half time? Yes, you have, yeah. Ross. You've heard. Yeah. Um, there's little doubt that the Palace team came out in the second half quite fired up. You know, right from the start. I mean, the first, one of the first things that happened was. Was the uh, make, was Wilf making the chance for, for Johnny Williams that he really should have put away? It was quite early on in that half, but we were certainly up for that game on, in that second half. And there was a rumour that um, that a member of either Brighton, a Brighton staff, someone in the Brighton camp, uh, defecated in the uh, in the change room. Now, obviously, there's no way we can categorically state that that did or didn't happen or whatever. But that is the rumour, and, and it would be very, very interesting um, <laughs> to see. Um, uh, someone's just spotted my joke. I'm not going to say what it was, but anyway, um, <laughs> someone's just uh, yeah. No, sorry. Obviously, if that's genuinely what happened um, and it did fire us on, then well, well, I mean, if anyone wants to be paid to go and defecate in the change room at halftime in every Palace game, I'll gladly pay you. I swear. Um, but amazing stuff, really, to come out of that. And obviously, since then, Gus Poyet and, and his entire um, well, his first team coach. And his assistant have been suspended from their duties. I think that was obviously to do with, um, according to the uh, Argus down in Brighton, I think it was to do with Gus refusing to deal with the out-of-contract players. But 
there's a, there's a disciplinary process going on there, and we'll, we'll see what happens. But certainly, the fallout from from that game has been been massive, massive for Brighton. Ross, I've heard a few things about why Gus Coyer got suspended. One, something about his um, not agreeing with the owners about um, summer transfer budget. Mm. Um, two, his one of his, I think, his interview after the game, he or recent interview, he slightly mentioned that he didn't know his situation at the club and he might be moving on or he might be looking elsewhere or something like that. Um, and then the one that you mentioned as well with the budget, which it's kind of similar to the, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that, it, it, yeah, it came out of his Sky interview, you're absolutely right, I think. Um, the, um, yeah, the, the basically, if you, if you listen to that interview after the game, he, he, you know, he pretty much said that he was leaving the club. He made yeah. it sort of abundantly clear. That unless he was given certain assurances, he would um, he would go. I'm just looking at some four-word reviews for that game that, that have just been popped up by producer Tom, and he's um, I'll read a few of those out now. Actually, uh, Gary T one two three, we beat the scum. <laughs> Red hot Jill, that's uh, James. As um, Brighton did big poo, which uh, it was a reference to that story I was referring to. Uh, Mark Wilson said, uh, "We came, we conquered." Uh, Jason Druitt said, ha, 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 ha. And Andy Hobbs says, Wembley, here we come. Um, fantastic stuff. Ross, you want to make a further point? Yeah, just quickly about the, the the Brighton member of staff. If it is true and that he did crap in the changing rooms at halftime, I don't know if it's true, but it, it's unbelievable to think that someone would do that and so stupid. Um, not only is it disgusting, but... It just that would just if you saw that as a player, you would be so angry, and you it would just it would just it's, give you so much energy to go out there and just you just want to smash them pretty much. Yeah, listen, it's, and it's I a, thought I said to my friend at the start of the second half, I thought Holloway said something really good at half time. I thought and I was I thought maybe Holloway's you know put a rocket up their ass or something because mm. they come out all all guns blazing. But maybe it was the shit. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's definitely something to do with someone's arse anyway. Ben? I don't know what kind of negative effect that's going to have on Palace. Like, if you... I don't... Like, the Brighton staff member who's done that, is, does he really think the Palace are going to go in there and think, oh, well, they've pooed on the floor, so we'll probably let them win now. That, that's, I think that's <laughs> what we should do. That's just never, ever going to happen. Obviously, it's going to fire them up and have an adverse yeah. effect to Brighton. I don't understand what would go through somebody's head. Well, I mean, that's what it says. It says to me that even assuming again, was it's very, very clear. It's, you know, there's no proof I'm aware of that this did happen, other than strong rumours. Um, <laughs> our producer Mikey has just suggested it might have been Ian Holloway that did it, uh, but it happened during the first half. So I'm sure that wasn't the case. But um, yeah, look, listen, if it did, it, we can't prove one way or another whether it happened or not but it, ultimately it's a, sign of dis- it's a sign of disrespect isn't it so it, that says to me that it came from someone who is a Brighton supporter more than anything um, so I, I don't know what really <laughs> what to make of it other than something definitely fired the team up and if it was that then you know you've got to thank that person for, for giving us a helping hand so to speak but um, I mean ama- it's an amazing thing to come out of the game it really is it's not something that I ever expected to hear um, really really isn't um, but I mean, the football on the pitch was just—it was a fantastic thing. But you know, the, the game—if you obviously I've watched it back an, an insane amount of times because it's just such a great thing to, to watch, especially if you've been there at the game because you see it differently. And you know, my main experience at the game was 
you know, I didn't really see the two goals from Wilf. I, I mean, I saw them, the, the moves happening and I saw the ball hit the net, but you just, when you're there, you just can't take it in and you're too busy shouting and screaming and jumping around to really take anything in. Uh, so I haven't seen it back, but what's really noticeable is just that the game just hinges on, on one sort of period of that sort of 10 minutes or so around the hour mark because you get penalty shout for Johnny Williams um, he immediately gets substituted along with Owen Garvin and you get Moritz and Balassi come on and that changes our focus and then shortly after that uh, Ashley Barnes comes on for, for Calderon for Brighton Brighton change their shape and go a bit more attacking and Barnes gets a chance with his first touch it's headed on by uh, Leonardo Ujoa <laughs> it was poor in the night I thought um, and he just gets a, gets a foot to it. And on the, at first, you think he's hit the bar, but when they showed the replay, and you, you saw the... I mean, it's a reaction save, and it's a phenomenal reaction save because he's had to move his hand uh, at a speed you can't possibly imagine because, you know, you're seeing it in slow motion. You see his hand jerk up. It's just... It's a f- absolutely fabulous save. One of the what best... What a save. Exactly. exactly. I mean, he has done some amazing things in that pal- in the Palace goal. Uh, but that has to rank up there as the probably the very best that I've seen. Uh, thoughts, Ben? Unbelievable. Yeah, there's there's not really many words that that can describe it. At first, I didn't think it uh, it saved it. I thought it had been tipped onto the bar. It's that slight touch, but it's a, it's a very very necessary touch because looking at replays, it it definitely was going in and and he's kept us in the game really because you think if Brighton had scored there, then maybe uh, they would have they would have gone on and, and killed the game. So. Yeah, who knows? Obviously, um, Delaney's um, then had to head the ball out, hasn't he? And straight from that corner, uh, Barnes again with his second touch of the game, heads for goal, and yeah, he's got Dean Moxie on the line. It's brilliant as well. I was watching the highlights of that earlier, and Moxie, as the ball comes in, you see him just dart off his man and go to, to the back post as though he's kind of read the situation and knows what's happening that is absolutely brilliant defending like he's, he's read it he's gone to the back post exactly where it needed to be and he's cleared the danger and I think a lot of people have said it and I agree with, with them when they say that I think that was Moxie's best game in a Palace shirt he was absolutely oh, phenomenal absolutely I mean Shipley um, himself tweeted during the game when he saw it later, later on when uh, comedian Sean Hughes sort of retweeted it to, to Hull Radio as well as Ships and I, and I just saw that um, he'd said that Moxie was his man of the match and I had to agree. I've actually given Moxie a bit of grief on whole radio recently, and I feel almost ashamed at that after seeing that performance because I talked about our weakness being the fullbacks, and both him and Joel Ward were had Stormers, and Joel Ward's been fantastic anyway. But but defensively, I'm talking. I've always been. I've always admired Moxie's you know forward play, and Joel Ward's been a revelation going forward as well. But both of them defensively were just absolutely sensational, and Moxie was on just on another planet. Will Buckley, you know the supposed. Brian's supposed better than Zaha player. It just he had, to, he had to keep moving wings to get away from Moxie because he just didn't give him an inch. Can I state as well? A few weeks ago, we had the discussion Moxie or Par. I think Alex was involved in it as well, and I was very much <coughs> Moxie camp, if you remember. Yeah. And, and the other, I think you, you and uh, Alex were Par, and yeah. I've, I've stuck with Moxie the whole time, and it seems to have paid off now. <laughs> All right. We... <laughs> so what you're basically saying is I was right. Look at me, I was right. Is that what yeah. you're saying? Uh, essentially, okay. yeah. yeah, that is it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad for you. I'm glad Thanks, mate. Cheers. Right. Cheers. Thank you. Um, but yeah, listen, a welcome return to form for D Moxie, absolutely. And well, not just a return to form. It was, it was something of a, of his best, well, certainly the best I've ever seen him play. Um, 
if he plays like that every week, then 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 that left back position's his own. Um, but yeah, so that was an absolutely key moment, and then after that, the game just went completely insane in my view. It just it just went end to end. It was just attack, break, attack, break of both sides. And if you looked at what, what Palace did really well in that little spell, uh, but just before Wilf actually scored, is the midfield. It was usually Jednak and Garvan, Garvan or, or Moritz even coming back at times. But um, and they, they joined up with the fullbacks. They kind of almost hunted in a pack to get that ball back and just never really, never gave Brighton a moment. And we again, we talked with, with, with Neil Shipley, in our previous show about the importance of pressing high up the pitch and pressing players, pressing the Brighton players because they just don't like it. They they just don't seem to cope, and it was just it it worked to an absolute tee. But it was just I was panicking to be quite honest with you because we had really um, you know a couple of really close calls um, in terms of, of Barnes' shot being saved and in terms of the header off the line. And you just I just felt you looked at it and you think a goal's coming here. And we hadn't really had a clear cut chance other than, than Johnny Williams going completely through. He'd just gone off the pitch. So you're just thinking, you know, it's gonna, something's gonna break here. And break it did. Um Yednak picked the ball up in sort of on the right, almost in the right wing position after the midfield had hunted down Will Buckley trying to break. And just swung a ball over towards Balassi. It just come off the defender. I can't remember who the right back was now. It just come off him um, and hit Balassi in the chest and sort of popped up. And I was, I can remember it like, bit from being there. I can remember it now. I was just shouting, cross it, cross it, Balassi, cross it. Because he just wasn't putting the ball in. And obviously I was wrong because he crossed it at exactly the right time. But, you know, he's knocked it to one side and cut back and then faked across and then put that cross in. And then you've obviously got the, one of the most strangest sights ever of seeing Wilf scoring a diving header. Uh, and I love the story that came out of that at the end. I'll get your opinions on this, boys. But um, Ian Holloway talked that it's spoken to Wilf and Yannick Balassi about when they're both, when they're on opposite wings, that when one's putting the ball in, he wants the other one to get inside the fullback in the area. Uh, and, the, and as the story goes, when Wilf did that and scored, he, uh, when he eventually ran and got to Ian Holloway, his comment was, Gaffer, did you see what I did? Which I thought was just a, a fantastic little story. It just shows you that one little bit of coaching can make all the difference. Uh, Ross, how mental did you go when Wolf scored? Uh, I went absolutely crazy. It's pretty... I haven't felt like that for so long in my life. I was jumping up and down, and then I just saw everyone running towards the front. And I was only a few rows from the front, but... I managed to get all the way to the fence and I was squashing some poor guy in front of me and we were just going absolutely crazy. There was people jumping all over the place and even the stewards are right in front of us and they were like hugging us and they had big smiles and we were just hugging the stewards and then Will came up to us and he was punching his fist in front of us and going absolutely crazy and everyone around me was just hugging me and I, I, I eventually walked back up to my seat and my ribs were killing me. I had these pains in my ribs. I felt like my heart had stopped. I had a stitch. I couldn't breathe properly. It was hurting, it was hurting when, I, when I breathed and I realised how unfit I was. And I was just emotionally drained. I didn't know what happened. I was just so happy and I was going crazy and it was an unbelievable feeling. Um, yeah, a few minutes later, I asked my friend who scored and because I just some reason I've forgotten who scored even though I saw the goal yeah. I went to the front and, and I saw Wilf and we looked at each other in the eyes and we were going crazy and I was looking at Wilf celebrating for 
for a minute or so, and then I went back up and I just forgot who scored. It was just, <laughs> I was, I lost my mind basically. That's, honestly, mate, that's a fantastic description. It's, it's just maddening when you when that happens, and, and it just feels it's just so intense. Uh, ben, yourself? Yeah, similar kind of story. I was my seat was kind of on the aisle, uh, and as he as Will scored, I stepped out into the aisle and immediately regretted it as uh, people piled from behind me, and I ended up right at the front as well. But you know that's exactly where I wanted to be after <laughs> I thought about it afterwards because you know I was right in the middle of it. Everyone was going absolutely crazy, and yeah, it was it was up there. You know, for one of the best moments I've I've experienced really. Yeah, absolutely. Any injuries from it? Um, no. Well, no, I don't think so. Actually, I think it was all just adrenaline, and uh, yeah. I didn't I didn't feel any pain. I saw yeah. loads of people fall over though down the down the aisleway, slipping and falling. When I saw that, I just started to slow down a little bit as I was running down the stairs. It was quite funny. I have to say, I did learn my lesson from the last time when I ran down the stairs. Well, twice, got knocked down the stairs and crushed, you know, things like that from, from the, the 3-1. Um, I was, for, well, fortunate enough to be right up the back of the stand on the right-hand side. And, um, you know, basically there was a lot, of, a lot of hugging, a lot of jumping around and a lot of insane sort of behaviour. But it was a long, long way for me to run down to the front. So, fortunately, I didn't do that this time. And uh, I was just saying, it was, it was no less special for, for that, I have to say, but... Um, but again, with the goals going in, it was just bizarre because I, I could, like, I was same as you, Ross. I could see, I could see the ball come in. I could see Wilf in the box, and then I don't really recall how the, you know, I could see the ball hit the net. I just don't really recall how the, how the things all combined. It was just, and there was almost like a little delay when it went in, where everyone just sort of thought, really, <laughs> really, did that just happen? <laughs> and then the, the insanity started. Um, Ross, I just want to say it was. Massive feelings for me. It was one of the best feelings when Will scored, like, ecstasy and euphoria. And I've never hugged so many strange guys in my life in one short amount of time and enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. That makes it sound like you've had lots of strange men and not enjoyed it before. But, um... <laughs> um, okay, listen, before we talk uh, about, about what happened what happened next, I just want to pick up a little, couple of other little things. Um further forward reviews from CPFC GIFs. I have to say right now, do follow uh, at CPFC GIFS on Twitter for some fantastic little uh, graphic clips, basically, if you don't know what a GIF is, um, including Holloway's Chicken Dance and all sorts of other stuff. Um, he's put from clappers to crappers, which is very, very clever. Uh, Dooley uh, has put Take That Murray Taunters, um, which is a reference to when Palace got off the coach, Glenn Murray receiving some abuse and also to the first leg where he was given abuse while on the ground by the Brighton fans. Bit of karma there. Um, long name bloke has just written. I don't know if that's actually his name or someone with a really long name. Uh, but he says, just one word, quality, which is the four words we asked for and also one word. Which is quite clever. Um, I did see... Occasional presenter Fur had a tweeted one as well, which I've lost. It was right. I, do you know what? It was like, never, never will I forget. I think something like that, wasn't it? Just it was on my phone, and my phone's yeah, changed to my, my personal phone. Twitter account. And that's confusing me. Um, yes, it's in the chat. It was never will I forget. Oh, well done, well done. Uh, anyway, cheers for that for that one. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Oh dear, I'm actually running out of breath. <laughs> But, um, can, I ask you, so, can I ask a question to you guys? Yeah, yeah, go on. Was the um, was the Brighton away game? How does it rank up there with the best Palace games you've seen? Where does it where does it fit into? Listen, um, it's a great question. Yourself. 
And if you see, if you've seen, obviously they've been asking it on the message boards and things like that. My, my vintage is that I, you know, I started watching Palace in that incredible cup run in, in 1990. Yeah. Um, so the first, one of the first games I ever saw was Palace winning four uh, three against Liverpool. So that's the min. But I wasn't there. You know what I mean? So this, I mean, this is this is the best. It's better than the three one. You know, I have to say, because of the situation, because of the importance of the occasion, it's it's probably it's probably the best thing I've ever experienced. And I respect people who've got huge lists of things above it. I understand why they have, and I certainly understand people putting Hillsborough there. But I was unlucky, and I didn't get to go to the to the the Hillsborough game that kept us up. Um, so again, for me personally, my experience that the two nil playoff was was the best ever. Ben. Um. Well, I'm, I'm a little bit younger than you, so I obviously haven't got the experiences of, of 1990 and, and things like that. I was at the the playoff final in 2004, but I was I was too young to really kind of remember that and and you know be able to say that that was up there. I was at Sheffield Wednesday, so that that's really really up there. But Brighton's pretty close, you know. I think I think it's probably Sheffield Wednesday's just top, but Brighton is very very slightly below it, and then the potential of of winning at Wembley would would top it all. I think. See, yeah, I don't know. I kind of feel that I kind of feel we won our final. It mean it meant that much to me to to beat Brighton with the attitude that they gave. And uh, Tom, our producer, is, is quite rightly asked the question: Does that the Brighton game make up for um, Bristol City away and the, and the three 0 as well? You know, does it exercise the, the the demons, so to speak? And he's absolutely right. It does. It does make up for anything that's come sort of come before it. Because um, you know, whatever happened before got us to that point. And you know, I just. I just think that if it wasn't if it wasn't for the sheer arrogance of the Brighton support, if it wasn't for the fact that they thought the game was won, and it wasn't for the fact that quite a large percentage of the Palace fans who went to the game thought, you know, we're probably going to lose here, but as long as we give it our best shot, I'll be happy, kind of thing. Um, it, <laughs> just so many reasons why why we probably shouldn't have won that game, you know, and so many heroes in the Palace side who. You know, who did it when it matters, and and you know, there's no bigger hero than than the guy who could be out for up to a year, Glenn Murray, of scoring 31 goals this season. You know, it was lovely to see him at the end of the game come over and get his rightful acknowledgement from the crowd. And you know, obviously, all the Brighton fans had left by that point, so he didn't really get any abuse either. But um, I don't know. I mean, let's talk about that that second goal as well. Obviously, Brighton did try to get it back in the game. They brought on Kazenga Luwalua, uh, who had been in pretty good form, but. But you could see that they they were a side who I mean the, the commentators reminded me of the statistics when I watched it back. But I was also told at the game that they they haven't come back from um, going a goal down uh, at home all season. I think. I think it's over over two years, Chris. That, that. Uh, well, even even better. So I think I mean that in itself shows, um, should we say, a degree of psychological weakness in that squad. Um, I suppose it's probably worth criticising that the, the manager, well, or maybe ex manager now for that because. You know, it's something that you've got to do in football. Sometimes you will concede, even sometimes against the run of play. You just, you know, you you've got to come back. And if they haven't done it for, for nearly two years, there's a problem there. Um, and they didn't. They did not look like it. They did not have any real opportunities to get back in the game. They looked a beaten side after we scored. And it it wasn't particularly late in the game. It was seventy minutes. There's twenty minutes left. You know, they're at home. They got one of their biggest ever crowds, if not biggest ever, cheering them on and. It was just it was all us. It was all Palace, and um, there were there were you know Mila Jednak and KG were fouled at the same time in the penalty area. Got nothing for it. Um, 
and there were chances. Wilbraham had a really good chance, drilled a, shot, drilled a left-footed shot wide, and you know Brighton's play became more and more cynical. I mean, they were quite cynical in terms of the diving and the sort of kicking and stuff off the ball, sort of throughout the two legs, really. But they really didn't. They just, they just seemed to lose their minds, really, and lose their lose their sort of commitment. And obviously, well into the game, we're talking probably eighty-six, eighty-seven minutes. After a spell of pressure, um, KG just rolls the ball to Wilf. Wilf's got his back to goal, and it's very quite reminiscent, although a little bit closer in, uh, of his goal against Wolves. It just he shows that he has actually got the ability to play in a central position and to be potentially be a striker. You know, which I, I know he does see himself as in, in a lot of ways. Um, and he just just to roll the defender, and it's his left foot shot. So it's on his weaker foot. He hit it so hard that at the game I didn't see it. I didn't I didn't see it till he hit the bar and slowed down it was an absolute rocket and well take us through the emotions again then i'll start with you ben this time <laughs> yeah just mad again i didn't run into the hole this time and when that <laughs> one went in it was more head on hands i can't believe what i'm seeing and i mm. spent the the next kind of 20 minutes standing on my chair just with my hands on my head not really <laughs> knowing what was going on yeah it was just I, just mental i didn't i didn't think we'd score again to be honest i know yeah. we were creating chances but i thought it was going to finish one they'll be really nervy right to the end but just unbelievable. It was a. It really was a shock to get that second. Ross, how did you feel? Uh, very similar to Ben, to be honest. Um, I was in disbelief that we scored a second goal. I thought we were gonna. It was gonna be nervous the whole last twenty minutes, and just you know they're gonna have loads of chances, and we're gonna sit back and defend. But when we scored the goal, I celebrated with my friends around me and went absolutely crazy, and then kind of just stood there with my hands in the air. And I don't know what I was doing. I was just, I was just like, "What? I can't believe this is happening." We're beating Brighton two 0 away, and everyone was like that around me, just absolutely shocked. What's going on? Is this us? Um, we, we were playing so good, and and yeah, it was everyone. There was a lot of people with hands around their head or looking at, you know, with their hands in the air, looking at the Brighton fans. It was amazing. Yeah. I just saw, I saw a lot of people just laughing. You know that kind of manic laugh you get when you just can't quite believe what you're seeing. Uh, it's a lot of people sort of who felt like that. Um, Tom was saying he slightly teared up. He admits it, so nearly, nearly had a bit of a cry. And yeah, you're not the only one. In, uh, you know, I wouldn't say I didn't. I wouldn't cry. I'm a man. I didn't cry, but <laughs> but I was. Yeah, I was. I was certainly emotional. It was just. It was an amazing moment. So um, I think really the probably the main reason I didn't didn't have a little bit of a cry to myself. And I, you know, I did. I, I won't say who, but I just saw a couple of lads in front of me having a bit of a cry. Bless them. They'd had, you know they had difficult times and what have you, and they just that moment it just kind of kind of forced the emotion out. But looking over at the Brighton fans and seeing them streaming out, and I know the, the Sky commentators commented commented on it as well, and it's just I you know I don't I, I don't get in, yeah you did you yeah but at the end of the game Oh well you, you know you got to mate I suppose it's the first time Palace have made me cry. <laughs> oh god, you lucky, lucky man! I've never, I've never, yeah, they've made me cry. Tears for bad of reasons. happiness, exactly. I so was so, yeah. I was so happy. I was so happy, and it was the easily the best night of my life. That when we, when we were seeing um, K Sarah Sarah at the end of the game, yeah, I was just like, this is amazing. It's the best feeling I've ever felt, and just eyes started to water, and I was like, <laughs> I love this club. I love this club. 
Uh, my eyes are actually starting to water a little bit now, talking about it, so I might have to move for some. I'm getting a little bit of a lump in my throat now, but honestly, mate, yeah, it's... I mean, it doesn't get much better than that, you know. We've, we've had some real lows, and you can't really appreciate the highs without, you know, having to go through those lows. And I, I think I said something similar on Twitter. I was, I was emotionally just a wreck, but I, I think I just managed to say, you know, this is what this is what people don't get when they ask me why the hell do I support Palace? Why don't I support a good team or whatever like that? They don't get that moments like that come along so seldom that, you know what I mean? You just, you really, really appreciate it. You Like, without losing 3-0 away in the league, that game possibly would have felt a little bit less special. So you, that's that kind of, in one season, in a short space of time, within a couple of months... That shows you how much it can change being a Palace fan and how much it can mean. It's um... Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. It's amazing stuff, and you know, we, obviously, we're, we're going to Wembley. We're, you know, and a lot of people I know have said they'd never go to Wembley unless it was with Palace. And obviously, the response from people generally is, "Oh, well, you'll never go to Wembley then." But you know, we're going, and that—that's going to be—it's going to be a phenomenal occasion. And we'll talk about that soon. You know, we want to want to wrap this up fairly shortly. Um, but I mean, I could talk about that game all day, especially with you guys. It's it'd be great, but we really, really can't. But I just want to get to some of the well, I picked out three of the um, questions we were asked earlier to mention. Um, Daniel Stone has said, uh, "Would you play Owen Garvin in the final, Ben?" Oh, you sprung that one on me. Um, y- mm, yes, I would. Although Morris was good when he came on, I think Garvin uh, works really hard. And I think he's a very good player. He's, uh, but the fa- the thing is, although I've said that, I don't think he's fully fit. So you know, but we've given it a couple of weeks. Got a couple of weeks till the till the game. It's tight between Moritz and and Garvin, I think. But yeah, I'd, I wouldn't change a winning team to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ross, would you start Garvin? Oh, I don't know. I think <laughs> I think I would keep the same team. I like having Moritz and Balassi in the bench as and Phillips as. Kind of definitely weapons to use at, at any point if we need them. So I probably I probably would stick with the same team, which includes Garvin. It's interesting. I mean, Ships talked about um, he felt the game the first leg passed Garvin by. Um, I thought he was actually really good uh, before he went off in the second leg, and it's quite strange because um, the commentators comment commented. I keep saying commentators commented. It's quite difficult to say in quick succession. Hmm. I distracted myself. Um, anyway. Um, they said that Garvin was probably one of the best players on the pitch, and similar to Williams, he'd been having a really good game. So to take both of them off when when he did was incredibly brave uh, for me and Holloway. Um, but I, I think I'm going to have to side with, with you guys again and say that yes, I agree. You don't change a winning team; you start the same, you give yourself the same options off the bench. But I mean, Watford, 
I think I'm right in saying that Garvin has quite a good goal scoring record against Watford for Palace. Um, I think I, in my mind he scored, scored a couple, didn't he? Yeah, he, he did. I'm finished. And last season as well, I think he got a couple. Um, I just, yeah, I, gen- I just noticed in Russ's comment that Garvin and Williams were running the show in the middle before they went off. Yeah, that's that's exactly how I would put it as well. They 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 really were. And like I said, Garvin against Watford seems to have um, have a, have a bit of a, a goal scoring record. I certainly think he's, he's worth starting. Uh, he does he does things that uh, that we that no one else really does. I mean, he's a very different player to Moritz, in my opinion. Garvin can sit deep, and he can spread the play around, and he can di- dictate tempo a bit. You know, he's not quick. Uh, he's certainly added bits to his game in terms of getting the tackles in and just getting involved in winning the ball back. He's added that to his game, and, and he looks a better player for it. And but but Ben's right; he's not doesn't seem completely match fit, and and you'd understand understand why he's. He started pretty much started every game since he's come back, um, but um, but yeah, but you know, I, I, just, I can't I can't think any other way of um, of of, of starting him uh, other than to start him. Uh, I think you have to you have to. He's got us there basically, but um, by doing his bit, and the guys off the bench have done their bit. But you have got to keep it the same. Um, we want to talk about the ticket situation as well. Uh, that's Daniel Hatton who's contacted us. We'll talk about that last, I think. Um, there's one more question from Paul Martin about the lineup, and he's talking about keeping Gabbard on in instead of, of, of Ramage. Um, I've been very vocal of my support of Ramage in, um, well, yeah, in, in, in on this show repeatedly said that I believe he's a better player than, than Danny Gabadon purely because of Gabadon's lack of match practice and match fitness. Um, hmm, but what, what have we just done? We've just kept two two clean sheets, haven't we? Um, I don't really think you can you can make that change now. So I think Gabidon stays. Uh, ben, I love Ramage, um, but I completely agree. You, you know, two clean sheets. You can't go into the final on the back of two clean sheets and completely change the back four. You have to keep it the same, and and he will keep it the same. And uh, <laughs> it's unlucky from Ramage that he's played pretty much all season and then made one mistake against Ipswich, dropped out, and then we've we've managed to get there. But um, yeah, it's, it's a shame, but. I'm happy with the back four that we're playing. Mm, that's the same in Gabinon has impressed me in the last couple in the, in the playoffs as well. So it seems to be a big game player, maybe. Uh, Ross, you you have the same opinion? Yeah, Holloway's not going to change it, is he? Mm, fair dues. All right. Um, <clears throat> you also just said something there about us. Apparently, unofficially, we we are wearing our home kit in the playoff final. Mm. I didn't think it was that big news because. Our home kits um, don't clash anyway, but no. it's just a good to know kind of thing. Peace of mind. I don't know. Uh, ben, you wanted to make a little point about Glenn Murray? Yeah, I don't know if you've seen the picture that's going around on Twitter of him and Moritz, but the operation went well. We're thankful for the news about that, and uh, yeah, he had a big beam and smile on his face, so he's in good spirits. What the hell? He's, he keeps smiling at the moment. I know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, he's got a bit of a rest as well, hasn't he? So. Um, Tom has confirmed that Garvin has two braces against Watford um, one in 2010 with a 3-2 home win and the first game of the season in a 3-2 home loss hmm if he scores twice again it's going to be 3-3 <laughs> to someone isn't it yeah oh dear I think it's our turn to win I think it will you know 3-2 is probably not a bad shout um okay ticket situation I think I'll go on a little bit of a monologue here and get your comments at the end I'll keep it brief um, we sold out today, sold out tickets 
sold out before it went to general sale, um, <coughs> which is massive, massive disappointment to many, many people. Obviously, the first day of sales, they were open to season ticket holders. We've got about 10,000 season ticket holders. They were allowed two each. I think 14,000 got sold on that first day. I think on the second day, another... I think once members came on, we sold. We got up to about 24,500. Um, when I saw, yeah, <laughs> it's been pointed out by Mikey, thank you, that I've said today, uh, that, that is, we're recording this on Friday, in case you didn't know, it's a recorded show. Um, apologies for that. That's why we haven't asked for your contact today. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, yeah, so uh, I think we'd sold about 24,500 on the second day of sales, which included members, um, and members are being the, the sort of controversial issue at the moment. Obviously, third day sales just sold out. I think it was sold out by about. I think it was confirmed at five past ten, but I think it might have been an hour before that that it actually sold out. So, um, that's, first of all, it's a phenomenal effort. However, we did it to sell to sell thirty three thousand tickets uh, at Wembley. Yes, we should we should have had more because of the amount of corporate tickets that have been given away at Wembley. Absolutely, twenty two thousand or something ridiculous. Uh, Watford have got a certain end of the stadium that has about three hundred more tickets than ourselves. I think. Uh, everyone thinks they got a thousand more, but I think we got thirty-three thousand eight hundred, and they got thirty-four thousand one hundred, or something like that. Just purely because of the netting situation at either end of the stadium. So my throat's starting to fail because I'm still slightly ill. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so that's the situation. We did sell out, and obviously, there's a lot of unhappy people, um, many of whom are regular attendees, home and away, but simply don't own memberships. And the reason that they are unhappy. Is because um, membership sales were remained open for the 2012-2013 uh, season uh, up until today, which is Friday. And um, for twenty-five pounds, you were essentially able to jump the queue ahead of ahead of general sale and get yourself a ticket. Now, um, apparently, they were reopened. Sorry, I've been corrected on that. So, uh, the the comment being that. It put people in a situation where someone who had ne- not been to any games, had no booking history, could just buy a membership and get a ticket. And they may not even be a Palace fan and so on and so forth. And that's, of course, happened. Uh, there's a few points to make. I'll make them as quickly as I can and as emotionless as I can so you can't tell what my real opinion is. Um, firstly, membership's been on sale all season for £25. Crystal Palace is a football club. Um, if you're not a season ticket holder... You really, in my, well, I say in my opinion, in, in also in the opinion of those that own the club, it would be really good if you could get a membership. Uh, it's not a huge amount of money. If you put some money aside over the course of the summer, you know, a bit of money every couple of months to one side, you can you can get yourself a £25 membership. It gives you a discount on your match ticket purchases. So if you go to about 10 games in a season, you'll make your money back off it. Uh, it gives you a discount on away coach travel. Um, and it gives you priority for high demand games, um, and so situations like this happen. You know, you're, you're you're ahead of people in the queue. Now, the other thing is that that benefit has to has to remain, and the club ha- is an income stream for the club. Now, you could argue it's a bit cynical to then suddenly reopen that and and sort of give people that opportunity, but that the club have got to make their money for a start, and they've also got to. You know, listen to the demands of their supporters, and the demands of their supporters were that they wanted to get tickets, they wanted to become members, so you know they were allowed to do so. It's a real shame, and the the real shame of it is that people, any regular, you know, genuine fan with any with who gives money to the club and supports the club up and down the country should really have been able to get a ticket ahead of someone who 
you know, half the time doesn't even support the club for, for games like this. You get people who end up with tickets. So, oh, I don't really know what to say other than it's a shame. It's a shame that there's more people than tickets. It's a shame that someone has to miss out. And if you do miss out, you're always going to feel that the ticketing system that caused you to miss out was wrong. Um, all I can really say is get a membership at the start of every season if you're not going to get be a season ticket holder. Everyone's got different reasons why they can and can't get the tickets that they want. So, um, Guys, that's my uh, blathering on the subject. There's a lot more to it than that, but we haven't really got long. So, uh, Ben, any thoughts? I agree with you completely. Uh, it is a shame. Uh, and I, like I said, if, if the people who were moaning had got tickets, they probably wouldn't be moaning. But I think there's been plenty of time to get one. You know, the people have been posting on Twitter, on the message boards. <coughs> if anyone needs help getting a ticket, just get in contact, blah, blah, blah. They've got their reference numbers there. And I know people that, that offered that help and didn't get any response, you know, and people moan. There's been plenty of time because there's been second opportunities for season ticket holders who've already got tickets to get a couple more or whatever. And I think, you know, if you really, really, really wanted to be there, you, you could have found a way to get a ticket, quite simply. Yeah. There's, some people really genuinely got themselves into a situation where they couldn't buy a membership and a ticket in that short space of time. But it's worth noticing that the time constraints were one of the reasons that they couldn't talk about booking histories because, I mean, I know there's some criticism for giving it to a third party. I mean, for a start, C-Tickets ha- handle all of our online sales anyway. Um, but the second point is the box office for, uh, is about five staff when it's maximumly staffed because it's a small, it's physically a small place. Plus, we're a club that doesn't have a demand for much more than that in terms of fully trained and available staff. So you, you kind of ask that ticket office to handle the sales for 33,000 tickets. If, you, if they were working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, up until the, the, the time of the game, they still wouldn't be able to physically sell that many tickets to, to the people. Can you imagine how long the phone queues would be when there's only four phones that 30,000 people are phoning? It just doesn't make any sense to even start going down that road. Now, the, and the club have quite rightly said that um, you know they, they feel it, it was the, the fairest system that they could possibly do with the constraints that they've got. They can't give every person's booking history to see tickets in that short space of time and the see tickets then refer to every person's booking history to see if they deserve a ticket under some criteria basically you know everyone just you know everyone who is unhappy has a legitimate legitimate cause to be unhappy that they've missed out on a ticket but they shouldn't pretend that it would definitely be any different and more to the point they shouldn't have assumed that had it gone to general sale they would have got a ticket anyway uh, Ben if you say your last little point yeah, just about um, the box office and the staff restraints and stuff. I think the club have handled this in, in the best possible way by giving it to a part, a, a people like C-Tickets who, who have the you know who have the staff to deal with the demands. I know for a fact that in the first leg, the, the Brighton playoff first leg, uh, they had staff in, in the box office, Palace staff, who worked in different departments, man in the phones, just trying to get through all the people that were waiting. And I think there's really nothing else they could have done. People who had never answered the phones at Palace before in their life were there you know, taking taking bookings, and I think they've hundred percent done the best they could. Fantastic, um, Ross. Any further things to add? You can say no. Um, <coughs> I just feel like if you really, really wanted to go in to the final, you would have got a ticket somehow. I somehow I wanted to go to the Brighton away game so badly. Uh, I, I wasn't a season ticket holder, and there was only two thousand tickets on sale, and I got a ticket. And I asked everybody I knew that was a Palace fan and tried so hard until I got that ticket. Um, 
I got a, I got a ticket to the final as well, pretty on the first day. So there you go. I mean, that's another thing worth bearing in mind that yes, the tickets are sold out. There will be people who have cynically bought those to make some money, but there will also be those people who have bought them and suddenly someone can't go and stuff like that. So just keep your eyes peeled. Uh, I'm sure a lot more of the people who missed out will be able to get tickets. I know, I know of one person who presents occasionally on Homestay Radio who had a massive long rant earlier today about not getting a ticket and then about an hour later put another, another little message saying, got my ticket, you know, so... <laughs> It's just how, just how it goes, unfortunately, and we'll see what happens. Anyway, look very, very quickly, looking ahead to Wembley. Uh, James, uh, I think, no, I was just about to say James, just clearly not James, it's Tom. James isn't even in this call. Do you know who James is? No, I do, he's our other pretend producer. Um, just give me the last the statistics of uh, Watford over the last couple of seasons. Um, don't make particularly good reading, I have to say. Um, other than a 2-0 victory on in October of 2011. And that 3-2 win we talked about earlier, which I think was from 2010, wasn't it? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, we've been beaten. No, hang on. I'll tell a lie. We won 4-0, didn't we? And that one, on the 18th of February 2012, we beat them 4-0. I remember that game now. Then beaten 3-2. <laughs> I've got this completely wrong. No, we lost that game 3-2. Damn it! My head hurts. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm reading something that, that's confusing me. Essentially, let's talk about this season. We lost 3-2 in the opening home game of the season. Uh, and we drew 2 all after being two goals behind. Now, we should have won that opening game. If anyone who was there for the first game of the season will remember. Uh, just a little bit. Just got really, really sloppy. Tried to defend the lead, um, as we did under Dougie, unfortunately. Uh, after dominating most of the match. And Watford hit us with, with you know a couple of quick goals and... You know, we went went off with, with zero points and had a bit of a rough time for a while after that. Um, different story at, at Vicarage Road. We took another massive away following to Watford, as we often do. Confused the hell out of them all game with our singing and the general atmosphere that we created. Uh, they went 2-0 up, were playing superbly. And, and you know, we turned it around, as, as we often do. Um, and very unlucky not to actually grab a win in the end. So, that's, uh, what, that's nine goals in two games? Um it's going to be an exciting final. Just, Ben, what, what are your thoughts? What are your hopes? <laughs> it's impossible, isn't it? It's absolutely impossible. One of those games we could... Well, literally anything could happen. Um, and I think it might go past the 90 minutes, if I'm honest. OK. Um, you're not going to call it, but... Um, I'm not. I'm not going to, you know. <laughs> would you... Would it be the ultimate disappointment were we not to go up? Or is it something that, because of the season that we've had and because of beating Brighton, that you be relatively philosophical about yeah no the latter of those I think it's it's not the end of the world um, if it was you know to a playoff to go down to League One if you lost then maybe it would be but you know we'll be there or thereabouts next season if we don't go up uh, and Ross your, your thoughts um, I'm going to try and enjoy the occasion and enjoy the match uh, I think I won't be so disappointed if we lost the final mainly because the semi-finals against Brighton was so big and so much energy went into that and so so much emotions that uh, if we lost the final, I'll be like, oh, well, at least we beat Brighton and it wouldn't seem so bad. And we've had a great season anyway. Um, so I think I'll, I'll still be nervous. I'm sure on the day I'll be a bit nervous and I'll be worried and stressed out like normally when I watch Bowers play. But if we lose, I think I'll be quite 
proud and happy of what we achieved this season. I think I think both of you have sort of summed it up. Like most most people I've spoken to have, have a similar opinion that it's a day out at Wembley and we want to enjoy our day out at Wembley. We want to you know get down the pubs nice and early. You know meet meet all of our Palace mates. Probably meet a load of people we've never spoken to before. Um, you know just enjoy the whole day. Get you know eventually get in the stadium and watch a game of football and just see how it goes. But it kind of struck me today that. I mean, I don't necessarily... I, I've talked before about not necessarily wanting promotions to the Premiership because I like, I like the league that we're in and I like the fact that we can feasibly win every week or lose every week and all that sort of... It, you know, it's just... It's, a, we're, it's kind of our level, if you like. But I think a lot of... In, in recent days, I've been thinking a lot about a lot about our owners and how how it would just change everything for them and how important it is for them they, you know to not have to dig into their pockets on a continual basis that you know for, for for one for winning this one game now this one match it will just transform what they can do and they can start to realize their own ambitions for the football club and they can start to try and see if there's a chance that we can be that bigger club and, and when we see us sell the tickets that we've sold this week and when it went three days and you start to think that actually you know there is a big club there you know there's there is that club that had an attendance of 52,000 against Burnley and, you know, in very late in the 70s. And you think that mate, there is there is the support there if we can get them to come every week and if we can get a successful team. Now, I'm not saying it's what I particularly want as a as an individual, but you want your team to win games, you want your team to be successful. And ultimately, when it's when it's a group of four fans in charge of the club, you want, you want them to be rewarded for what they did in, in keeping us where we... Or giving us a club to support for a start, but you want them to be able to realise their own ambitions as well. So, you know, I think it's an important game. I think it's more important than than I thought it was initially. Um, don't get me wrong, the semi final means everything to me to, to have won that as a supporter. But looking long term for the football club and for its health, I think it's it's a it's a huge huge game. And the money on offer and what that could mean for the club that we support is. Um, well, it will change the entire history of that our football club forever. And I'm going to leave that there. Uh, thank you very much to, to Russ and Ben for joining me today and also for to Dave Smith who joined us for a recording that will hopefully be tagged onto this. Uh, appreciate Mikey and uh, and obviously Tom on his producer producer, produ- producer debut today um, helping me out a lot. So thank you for listening. Um, we'll be back very, very soon. Bye now. Hello and welcome to the Homesdale.net Awards for the 2012-2013 season. Um, with me is Dave Smith, also known as Slovenia Dave, but based in Macedonia, so geographically an incorrect name. But um, Dave's just going to take us through what the whole awards are and, and how we've got to this point. Hi Dave. Um, yes, good evening, hi. Um, yeah, this is, I think it's the fourth or fifth year that I've been responsible for the awards, but they are, they've been running longer than that. Um, Every year they expand a little bit or they change a little bit in terms of categories. But essentially we have um, a set of awards for uh, HOL members in various different categories, uh, for threads on, on, the, on the site. And then we have a separate section on, player, on, on the Palace players, best player, best young player, etc. Um, so the awards this season, we, uh, we had the first round, qualifying round, about uh, a month ago where anybody could be nominated. Uh, and we got the nominations in. I totted them all up, uh, and we came up with the top three for each of the categories. Uh, and in the last week, 
Um, people have been sending in their votes to choose which of the three top nominations should be this year's award winners. Fantastic. I mean, so obviously a very tense event because, you know, the stakes are very, very high. Um, you know, I'm <clears throat> holder of a few awards myself and um, just hoping to hang on to one this year. I'm really, you know, really just hoping. I, I know the feeling. I know the feeling. I'm only a room <laughs> one, but uh, there we are. <laughs> <laughs> um, helping me to, uh, to go through this today is uh, Ben Nagel. Hi, Ben. Evening, Chris. You all right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you excited, excited about these awards? Yeah, it seems like, well, it doesn't seem like a year ago that we did this last time. So It was two, yeah, two years, mate. Uh, that'd be why. <laughs> yeah, that'd be two years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I've noticed that you're also nominated in a category that I think was slightly misleading. Yeah, know? well, we'll I mean, you are that later, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, after Lewisham Eagle won Young, young Poster for about eight years in a row, we decided... <laughs> he, still he still looks about... He still looks about 14 as well. <laughs> anyway, um, listen, let's just get right into this. And uh, let, we'll take you to the first category. And that first category is the best Homesdale.net poster. And Ben, who are the nominees? And the nominees are Kermit 8, Hoof Hearted, and Jamie Martin 721. And the winner of this year's HOL poster is... Jamie Martin, 721. Congratulations to Jamie. It's the big category, that one. You know, that's, that, that encompasses the entire website, and he's the best yeah, well, of it. Normally, you'd, you'd think that that, last one, that big one would come at the end, but we've simply done it in a different way. <laughs> Yeah, we uh, see. What, I'm, a rene- I'm a renegade. Um, I like to uh, <laughs> I like to do things differently. It wasn't that it was the first in the list that I'm looking at. It's not <laughs> that at all. Um, now we come to possibly the most important category in my book, <laughs> and that is the best poster in Palace Talk. And the nominations are Hambo, Rudy Hedman, and Seth. And the winner is. I do have to say, I do feel a little bit embarrassed in that I haven't really been, <laughs> haven't really been posted in as much as I used to because of this radio show, really, I think, obviously. You can have you too to much of a good thing, and uh, maybe oh, my opinions. Uh, I don't. That, that was my, I was. My, I was in the middle of it. You just talked over it. That's what happened. Um, I've planned that for some time now. But there we go. Uh, thank you to everyone who's, who voted for me there, and um, commiserations to, to Rudy and to Seth as well. The uh, next category is the much uh, coveted funniest poster, and the nominees are Nick Gusset, Kermit Eight, and Mongo Like Plunge. And the winner of Funniest Poster is... Kermit 8. <laughs> Congratulations to Kermit 8. Well, it's, uh, not the first time he's won that one, but it's always a competitive one, and the voting was very close in that, I have to say. Indeed. And, and sorry I went quiet there for a second. I just had to stifle a burp. Before I do a radio show. It's a mistake. Uh, the next category is Best Overseas Poster. And the nominees are Slovenia Dave, Palace Guard and Johnny Eagles. And the winner of Best Overseas Poster is... Slovenia Dave. 
Oh, <laughs> congratulations. I know. And I'm sure it's because I only because I do the awards that people feel obliged to, uh, they can't put me bottom, I think that's probably... Yeah, I think if... Did, did anyone actually <laughs> rate you bottom? Maybe it'll be a different result, but... Uh, I have so to say, yeah. it's difficult, isn't it, to actually send a message to you saying that, you know, you're not... Yeah. 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 <laughs> Although some people, do, some people don't seem to have a problem with that, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> It was by no means a walkover. Marvellous. It was, it was okay. fairly... Uh, everybody got votes. Fantastic. Okay. Next category up is Best Young Poster. And the nominees are Jordan 555X, Palace 15 Eagle, and Ridiculously Me, Ben N17. And the winner of this year's Best Young Poster is... Jordan 555X. Congratulations to Jordan. Can I just say, it, it, it's five, five, that X is usually a kiss, isn't it? So it'd be Jordan 555. <laughs> I guess so. That's how I'm going to say it. Congratulations, Jordan 555. Well done. <laughs> well done, mate. <laughs> Sorry, Ben. <laughs> no worries. Yeah. No one actually knows who you are, Ben. That's the thing. No, I, well, I don't really post. I must get list. I must get nominated because of the show. But I'm, I'm really posting on on the message boards. Yeah, well, there we go. And no nomination for Aaron this year. I just thought I'd point that one out. <laughs> um, <clears throat> the next category is best old fart poster. And the nominees are Cucking Funt, Becky, and Kermit Eight. And the winner is. By a very short head, cucking funds. Right on, David. That was a new. That was a new category this time. Um, I forget who. It might have been cucking who, project, who, who, who suggested it, but certainly it was um, one of the three nominees who suggested it. Fantastic, and it's uh, obviously a hotly contested category as well. Oh, it was. It was very, very tight between all three. Fantastic stuff. Well. Again, congratulations, Dermot, winning that one. Uh, the next category is Best Newcomer. And the nominees are Smirnoff, Palace 15 Eagle, and Crystal Brother. And the winner of Best Newcomer is... Palace 15 Eagle. You cannot be serious! Uh, congratulations. Also, uh, we used to post as Palace 16, I think. But, um, yes, yes, I think so. But, uh, but, um, but still, still technically a newcomer and, uh, and obviously a value poster on the site, and also nominated for best young poster. So well done there. I think right in saying that that's Jared as well, who's called into the show a couple of times. So well done, Jared. Good stuff. Good stuff. That was that was that was I think the closest of all. In fact, that one changed today. So anybody who voted today made a difference on that one. It was so close. Well, I mean, you know, it's a fine line, isn't it, when the stakes are this high. Um, okay coming up next uh, the category for best thread and the nominees are several things that arouse cucking funt staffy's mp3 thread and it was always going to happen margaret thatcher and this year's winner of the best thread award is several things that arouse cucking funt (laughs) 
Now that thread started as um, a number, didn't it? There was like yeah. ten things, and um, it just went so. The number just went so high that uh, it became several things that aroused cucking fun. Fantastic thread. If you haven't read it, obviously pop over the fun talk and have a read. It's brilliant. It's in, it's in uh, gold, now, wasn't it? Oh, it's, yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. It went gold ages yeah. ago. Foolish of me yeah. to forget. Okay, next category is most helpful poster. Usually a, a sh- shoe in for someone, but let's see what happens. And the nominees are Staffy, Hambo, and Slovenia Dave. And the winner of this year's most helpful poster <laughs> by a very, very long margin is Staffy. <laughs> And Correct. rightly so. Absolutely. Congratulations, Staffy. I'm, I'm just, I'm just happy to be nominated in that category. You know, no one's ever going to beat Staffy in that. No, exactly. He's literally <laughs> the most helpful man in the world. So. Yes. Fantastic stuff. Okay, and uh, coming up next, I think it's a, a shall we say, a change of terminology in this category because you know, there were mm. used to be worst poster and things like that. Um, and we've actually now got most provocative poster. And the nominees are Mick Gussett. Danny H and Sterling says. Uh, and the winner of most provocative poster is. Danny H. Congratulations to Danny. That's a well, well earned. <laughs> I think um, Danny earned, I don't know if it was his first yellow card this year, but um, he certainly got one of those. Well done, Danny. Um, I'm yeah. sure you'll be reveling in that. But. Uh, Oh. Yeah, he says, not, not afraid to speak his mind, as Danny, and um, it's, the site's richer for people like that as well. So whether you agree with him or not, it's always good to have people who are... Well, all, all three nominees, you know, provoke, provoke reaction, which is always great stuff mm. there. I mean, Nick will be gutted not to win that, but... <laughs> <laughs> He's been trying so hard. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, um, well, coming up next, it's, uh, it's obviously the last of the... Um, of the awards for Homestead.net users, um, and it's the Lifetime Achievement Award, and, um, you know, a hotly contested category once more. And the nominations for this last award are Staffy, Guntry Soft, and Cucking Funt. And the winner of this time's Lifetime Achievement Award is... Staffy. Uh, congratulations to Staffy. Well done, Staffy. Uh, to to win that ahead of uh, of, of Dermot and Pete is um, a hell of an achievement because usually that award is just a, a sort of a thank you to uh, to Pete and usually Gordon yeah. for creating the site. So, well done there, Staffy. Absolutely. Okay, so moving from the uh, the the message boards to the the pitch, the um. Well, let's, I'm going to do this in the correct order, Ben, because as you pointed me, you pointed it out. <laughs> Uh, before we're going to start with the Palace signing of the season. Okay, and the nominations for this award are Kevin Phillips, Joel Ward, and Damian Delaney. And the winner of the Crystal Palace signing of the season is Joel Ward. <laughs> that's um, yeah, yeah. That's uh, I, I, yeah. I have to say, I mean, I, I'm surprised that the. I mean, I suppose earlier in the season, I was expecting like Moritz would have been in there and things like that. But um, I think you can't really argue with with Joe Ward as the way he's finished the season. Uh, ben, you got any thoughts on that? Given that he, you know he hasn't played for quite some time until recently. Well, yeah, the fact that he's won it proves how much of an impact he's he's had since he's come in. Obviously, 
Kevin Phillips is always going to be up there when you know you sign a big name like that. But I think Joe Ward is is very deserved uh, winner of that award. Mm, deserved. Mm, okay, mm. like it. Okay, next category up is the Palace goal of the season, and the nominations are Dickachoy versus Charlton, Zaha versus Huddersfield, and Murray versus Derby. And the winner of the CPFC goal of the season is KG against Charlton. Oh, I am slightly surprised at that. That's a, yeah. That was a fantastic goal. Um, Short sure head off of Zaha Huddersfield. Well, they, no, they were all close, actually. All three. There wasn't a lot between them. But, uh, didn't, the, didn't the club one go to... Or wasn't it Murray against Middlesbrough? The club, I'm, I'm sure that... Did it? 30-yarder, anyway. Mm. But, um, but, yeah, interesting, yeah. So, I suppose that shows how uh, how many good goals we scored this season. Mm, yeah. Well, you say that, that's the standout one for me. I'll go, obviously, Peter Ramage argued that his goal was <laughs> goal of the season when he was on. But um, there we go. Mm, interesting stuff. Yeah. And, as, and as a new producer, Tom, just pointed, pointed out that Jednak versus Millwall was not nominated in that. So that was, that was a shock as well. Such a long time ago, I think that's probably the reason. But um, that was yeah. a belter as well. I think so. The question is, it was there, there were about six which got quite a few nominations. So you know, the others there weren't so many, but about six got serious nominations. They were the top three. Fantastic. Okay, uh, second, last. Oh, I should have said penultimate. I'm going to say change it. So the penultimate award of the evening goes uh, to the CPFC Young Player of the Year, and the nominations are Wilfred Zaha. Johnny Williams and Joe Ward. And the winner of CPFC Young Player of the Year, Johnny Williams. Oh, well, that matches the obviously the club awards. Uh, I have to say again, I'm surprised that, that Wilf didn't get it. I, I thought, obviously, Johnny's a fantastic player, a great lad. Uh, hopefully we'll be speaking to him soon as well. Um, but, you know, I, I just think, I think the way Wilf has been this season, you kind of, I kind of expected him to get something. But congratulations to Johnny, and it, it's, you know, that's the majority of vote for him. Uh, thoughts, Ben? Yeah, another good decision, I think. Uh, could have, again, between, could have been any of them, really, any of the three. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I'm surprised Zaha didn't get it, you know, an outgoing player. But Johnny Williams, we know how good he is, and, and yeah, deserve it again, I suppose. <laughs> okay, good stuff. Uh, the final award, uh, predictably, is for the uh, Crystal Palace Player of the Year. And the nominations are Wilfred Zaha, Glenn Murray and Mile Yenak. And the winner of CPFC Player of the Year is Glenn Murray. Well, there we go. Glenn Murray wins Player of the Year. And a change to the... Uh, the voted one at the club, of course, with Yednak winning that. Um, I have to say, I did agree at the, with with the choice of Milo Yednak. I just think over the course of the season, he's just been the best player on the pitch by far in the majority of games. Um, Glenn Murray's achievement of thirty goal, well, thirty one goals is, is just massive. And um, given this, this sort of injury situation with him now, it's sort of even more poignant how he's got us to where we are. But but you know, for me, it was always always Jednak, and um, again, because Wilf's in there, it's, it's a shock for him not to win either of those awards. I think. But um, your so little uh, equality nominations for Player of the Year, and there was a case for all three. No question, mm-hmm. Wilf, Glenn, and Millet all de- all could have deserved to win it in their own way. 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that kind of is emphasised by the fact we've got a different result to the official club awards. Any thoughts on that, Ben, before we go? Yeah, just quickly, obviously, I think Glenn's going to be really happy with that. It's widely known that, that this is the main award ceremony, you know, <laughs> disregard the one of the clubs. So, yeah, Glenn will be pleased about that. Yeah, obviously, we don't have a trophy, but, I mean, because it's an imaginary uh, trophy, you can you can imagine it as impressive as you like. So Yeah, exactly. It's, a, it's, it's, really ama- it's huge. So, it's massive. Know, get it? Yeah, yeah. How's he going to get that in his house? I've got to bring it over in my luggage, yeah. Okay, well, good luck with that, Dave. <laughs> well, anyway, those are, those are the results. Um, only remains for me to thank Slovenia Dave, um, Dave Smith, for his time today. Thank you, mate. Pleasure, absolute pleasure. And obviously, thank you very much for, for collating those awards. Thank you, obviously, to everyone who voted, particularly those who voted for me. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> um, and oh, well, hopefully we'll be back next year with the, uh, with the whole awards once more. In the Premiership. <laughs> it's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.